So I started thinking about this question this week. What do I find compelling about Jesus? What do you find compelling about Jesus? If someone asked you that, what would you say? Even non-religious people find Jesus fascinating. They find him interesting. They find his life and his behavior and his teachings something to ponder and think about. Now, last week we kicked off on a new series on the Christian faith. What does it mean to be a disciple, a student of the way Jesus lived and loved? But I've been thinking about this. Like, what would we say if someone asked, why are you a disciple? Right? That's the whole premise of this new series. Uh, my hope is this series helps you find the words so that um, if someone asks you, why are you a student of the way that Jesus lived and loved? Why are you a Christian? You can find words to respond reasonably and winsomely, and you can help your friends and neighbors and co-workers understand your faith. If you're just exploring Christianity, I know some of you who come and attend and watch online are just kind of checking out Christianity. You're not sure if you're all in yet. I hope that these talks help encourage you to lean into the Christian faith and find your hope and peace that Jesus offers. So, why am I a student of the way that Jesus lived in love? Why am I a disciple? Well, we're going to look at different reasons over the next few weeks, but my number one reason that I'm a disciple is because of Jesus himself, because of what a fascinating, interesting, unique, compelling person Jesus is. Now, many times I get frustrated with Christians. Many times I see people who call themselves Christians say and do stupid things. Some of the meanest people I've ever met are like, I'm a Christian, and they let it really be known loudly. And I'm like, I wish you wouldn't be so loud about it because you make Christians look terrible. I get annoyed sometimes at the focus of churches who seem to focus on all kinds of things that Jesus wouldn't have focused on. But there's something about Jesus that I can't walk away from, even though Christians sometimes disappoint me, and even though sometimes churches disappoint me, Jesus never seems to disappoint. Jesus is the most uniquely compelling person that I have ever met or encountered or read about, whether real or fictional. I've just never come across a character quite like Jesus. Now, I first heard about Jesus when I was five or six years old, and I went to a small brick Baptist church down the street. My mom started taking us to church for the first time, and uh, I went into this Sunday school class. I knew nothing about Jesus or God or Sunday school. It was never talked about in my home up to that point. And they gave me this little Bible, and it had a few illustrations in them. And it was a picture of this man knocking at a door, and a picture of this man healing a blind man, and a picture of a man walking out of a tomb, beating death. And uh, the Sunday school teacher would tell us these stories about Jesus, and I was fascinated by this character called Jesus. I'd never heard of him before. Now, the Sunday school teacher complained that I ate all the snacks in class. She would put out dry cereal, and I would eat all my cereal, and then I would eat all the other kids' cereal. And so she complained about me being in the class. But little did she know she was putting a spark in me about this character named Jesus. And I've remained fascinated 30 years later now. I'm still just as fascinated with who Jesus is and what he's like as I was as a six-year-old. When I was sitting there as a six-year-old hearing these stories about Jesus, my imagination would run wild with every story I heard, everything he said, it fascinated me. And in my childish brain, I remember thinking, if Jesus ever had some kind of cosmic sports team, and he was picking out people for his team, I'd do whatever it takes to be on his team. 
because this just seems like such a fascinating, interesting, uniquely compelling person. I want to be on Team Jesus no matter what. And 30, for 30 years, I've done everything I can to be about Jesus and learn about Jesus and get to know Jesus better. And so I started to sit down and write this message and I thought, how can I sum up everything I find uniquely compelling about Jesus in a short 20 minute message that's gonna somehow resonate with people. And so I toned it down to four reasons that I find Jesus uniquely compelling. I could have listed dozens of reasons. There were many more that I wrote down, but I broke it down to four. So here's the four reasons that I find Jesus uniquely compelling. I'm a Christian, I'm a disciple, I'm a student of the way that Jesus lived and loved because he's uniquely compelling. And here's four reasons I think he's uniquely compelling. Number one, Jesus asked questions instead of shoving answers. Now I'm gonna show you one example, but literally if you read through the gospels, the accounts of Jesus's life and death and resurrection, you can find dozens and dozens of examples where someone asks him a question or someone presents him an opportunity and he asks the question instead of just telling them an answer. We're so quick in our culture to be like, here's the answer, here's the answer, here's what you should do, here's what you should say, here's what you should believe. But Jesus asked questions. Luke 18, verses 18 to 19, a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. Now this man comes to Jesus, he's a nobleman, he's a ruler, he's one of the elite. He comes to Jesus and he asks the big question, how do I get eternal life? We expect Jesus to say something like, well, believe something, or repent about something, or pray something, or follow me. Instead, he asks the question, why do you call me good? He gets to the heart of the man instead of just giving him what he needs to know. Jesus never force-fed people the right answer. He invited them to ask the right questions. I love that about him. I just love that about that's who he is. Jesus apparently has so much respect for free will and human free agency that he doesn't try to coerce or manipulate or influence our decision. Instead, he helps us ask the right questions so that we can get to the right answers on our own. Now, I think many times in our culture, church is often known more for what it's against than what it's for. But I think maybe that would change if we were like Jesus, we were quicker to ask questions instead of just shoving the right answers down people's throat. They need the right answers, but many times they have to ask the right questions first. Jesus wants you to find the right answers, not just memorize the right answers. And I think a lot of times when I was growing up, I was obsessed with memorizing the right answers, even if I didn't fully embrace them or practice them. He wants us to experience that who he says he is and what he says is true, not because someone told us, not because someone said that's from the Bible so you have to believe it, but because you experience that what he teaches is true. What he says resonates with reality. If the teachings of Jesus don't resonate with reality, it means they aren't true, you shouldn't believe them. Like if Jesus is fake, I don't want you to believe the Christian religion just because it's good. I want you to believe it because it's true. And if it's true, I think you can ask questions of it and you'll find that it holds up. Jesus never seems to be in a rush to get someone to a spiritual destination, but is patient with them where they're at in their spiritual journey. Some of you watching online, some of you here, you're on a spiritual journey. We're all on spiritual journeys. Some of you might be getting really close to a big decision about leading into Christianity and following Jesus. Some of you might be far away. Jesus is very patient about where you are in the process. I love that about him. 
keep asking spiritual questions because I think if you keep asking questions and genuinely seek honest answers, you'll find Jesus is the ultimate answer to everything you're searching for. So why do I love Jesus? He asks questions. Number two, another reason I think Jesus is uniquely compelling is Jesus often annoyed the most religious people in the room and stood up for the spiritual outcast. He often came to odds with the most religious people and stood up for the spiritual outcast. Let me give you an example. John 8 verses 3 through 7. The scribes and the Pharisees, these are the religious leaders and teachers, they brought a woman caught in adultery and made her stand in the center. They're in the temple right now. This is in public. They humiliate her in public. And they say, teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? They asked him this in order to trap him, in order that they might have some evidence to accuse him. Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. When they persisted in questioning him, he stood up and said to them, the one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. Now, as a rabbi, as a traveling teacher of the Old Testament, Jesus needed the approval and support of the religious elites, but he never seemed to worry about who he was impressing. He never seemed to worry about whether or not they were on his side or had his back or whether or not he was impressing the right people. Mark Batterson once said that the most impressive thing is someone who never tries to, never tries to impress. We're always trying to impress people, right? It's a, it's a natural human tendency. We want to be impressive. We want to seem like we're important. Jesus didn't walk into a room and identify who had money and influence. He walked into a room and identified who was hurting and how he could help them. I love that about him. Jesus didn't walk in and say, oh, those are the religious elites. I need to get on their good side because they could really make or break my ministry. So I need to make sure that they're with me. No, he walked in and he says, who's hurting here? Who's hopeless? How can I help them? Jesus always sided with the spiritual outcast, even if it meant offending the religious elites who had power and money and influence and the power to hurt what he was trying to do. Jesus always stood up for the weakest person in the room. I love that about him. I find that so uniquely compelling that Jesus stood up for the weakest person in the room, even if it meant coming to odds with the people who had power and influence. Number three, I find Jesus uniquely compelling because Jesus claimed to be the clearest picture of Yahweh, the God who created everything. And when he showed up, this clear picture of what God is like, he showed up to a small town, to a poor family, and worked a physically exhausting job. In John 1, 45 through 46, Philip found Nathanael and told him, we found the one that Moses wrote about in the law, and so did the prophets, the Messiah, the one who's going to restore the relationship between God and man, Jesus, the son of Joseph, he comes from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathanael asked. Come and find out, Philip answered. You remember Jesus at Christmas, we celebrate the fact that he was born in a cave that housed animals. He wasn't born in a palace. God could have shown up wherever he wanted. Could have shown up in a palace. He could have shown up as a philosopher. Instead, he apprenticed in a physically exhausting job of wood and stone carpentry. He grew up in a tiny village of a few hundred people in a remote mountain community far away from Jerusalem, far away from any type of influence or any type of authority. 
God in human form, showing us what he is like, did not show up in power and in privilege. He showed up in poverty. I think that's fascinating. I think that's uniquely compelling about Jesus. He claimed to reveal God and he grew up on the wrong side of the tracks. He didn't grow up in a rich or educated home. And if you didn't, guess what? You're more in tune with what God says he is like than someone in power or wealth or influence. Now, sometimes my friends who don't believe in God, they say something like this. If God is real and God wants me to know him, why doesn't he show up as a hundred foot giant and he's wielding lightning bolts and throwing tornadoes out of his hand? Because then I would believe in him. God claims to be the type of God who, if he shows up, he would show up to a poor family in a backwoods part of the country. And I think it's much more compelling that he shows up as a nobody. That seems to be a much more interesting person of character than a God who shows up and is wielding supernatural powers. Jesus didn't shoot lightning or fly. You know what he did with the power that he had when he came? He set captives free and he healed sick people. God seems more interested in wielding power that heals and helps than wielding power that impresses or convinces. I find this uniquely compelling about Jesus. He could literally do anything, and you know what he did? He killed blind people. He set captives free from demonic powers. I find it so compelling that the clearest picture of God is a physical laborer from the backwoods of Palestine who shows up in an ordinary way. To reveal an extraordinary God. Finally, the fourth thing I want to talk about that I find uniquely compelling about Jesus is Jesus always partied with the wrong crowd. One of the most common complaints about Jesus was that he was eating and drinking with sinners. The religious elites were like, your rabbi is a glutton and a sinner because he drinks and eats, he parties and shares meals with sinful people. He doesn't invite us to his parties. He goes and parties with the wrong crowd. And something about that makes Jesus so interesting to me. That God in human form spent a lot of his time eating and drinking and hanging out with people that the religious people were like, oh no, don't hang out with them. That's terrible. Matthew 9 verses 10 through 13 says, while he was reclining at the table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came to eat with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Oh, Now, when he heard this, he said, It's not for those who are well who need a doctor. It is those who are sick. Go and find out what this means. Yahweh desires mercy, not sacrifice. Jesus wasn't worried about his reputation. He wasn't worried about, Oh man, if I'm seen with them, people are going to think this about me. If I'm seen with them, people might assume this about me. He actively pursued the people that the religious elites had sidelined in society. Jesus even told one of his short stories, his parables about this in Luke 14. He said there was a man who prepared a great feast. And he sent out all these invitations to everyone who should come to the feast. And they were all like, no, I, I, I'm going to get married soon, so I can't come. And somebody else was like, I just bought an animal, I can't come. I, I just bought a field, I should go look at it since I bought it. And then... You know, people were like, I gotta wash my hair. I added that one, but these were stupid excuses. And the man says, I've made a great feast. I want people to come in and party. So go out and find the homeless and the blind and the lame, the beggars, and fill my party. 
Jesus told this story because that's exactly what he was doing. He was going out and saying, anyone who wants to come to my party can. If you don't want to come to my party, I don't want you here. Dallas Willard has this great quote. He said, blessed are the spiritual zeros, the spiritually bankrupt, the deprived and the deficient, the spiritual beggars, those without a wisp of religion when the kingdom of heavens come upon them. Dallas Willard is essentially saying these are the type of people that Jesus is looking for. If you feel like a spiritual zero, guess what? You're the type of person Jesus would party with. Do you feel like you're spiritually bankrupt, deprived, and deficient, a spiritual beggar? Maybe you say, Alex, I'm not religious. Jesus came for the people who don't have a wisp of religion about them. These are the kind of people that Jesus made a priority. These are the kind of people that Jesus partied with. And I love that about him. Now today, after, at the end of this message, we're taking communion together. And one of the things Jesus said in communion was, do this to remember him. Drinking wine and eating bread were to remind us of the way that he partied with outsiders. The way that Jesus always included the excluded. How he desires mercy, not sacrifice. How he invites everyone to come and have a relationship with him. Not just the people who look pretty on the outside, but anyone who is hungry for the eternal bread that he offers to our souls. I think Jesus was the most compelling person to ever live. And I believe the world would be a better place if we became students of the way that he lived and loved. I think your life and my life would be better if we became students of the way that Jesus lived and loved. And I think our co-workers and neighbors and family and friends could have everything in their life changed for the better if they became disciples of Jesus Christ. And I think they would do this if someone would give them a compelling reason to check out Jesus. And God has put you and I in their lives to give them that compelling reason. So what do we do with all this? I've talked about four reasons that I find Jesus uniquely compelling, but I could have said many, many more. I wrote out a lot more reasons I find him uniquely compelling. If someone asks you, what do you find compelling about Jesus? Why would you be a Christian? Why would you be a disciple? Do you have some reasons? Have you ever thought about this? Like, would you be ready to go if I asked you right now, or someone, one of your friends said, what do you find compelling about Jesus? Why do you think he's compelling? Take some time to think about that. Have an answer ready so that when people talk to you and ask, why are you a Christian? You can say, because Jesus is uniquely compelling to me. Because he does this. Because he said this. Because he taught this. Because of the way that he behaved and the things that he did. Take time to remind yourself about what Jesus is like. Something I'm trying to periodically do more often is read through one of the Gospels in a week. Because I forget. One of the things Jesus said at communion is, remember me. Do this to remember me. My tendency is to forget what Jesus is like instead of remembering what he is like. I was reading through one of the Gospels this morning and I found this verse, Jesus does all things well. I forgot that verse was even in there. I forgot all about that verse. I've read through the Gospels many, many times. So read through one of the Gospels this week. As you read, think about, what do I find compelling about Jesus? What do I find compelling about what he's saying and what he's doing? Refresh your mind about what he's like and how he behaves. Now, if you're a student of Jesus already, you're a disciple, you're a Christian, we should model the behavior that made him so compelling to the people around him. People become curious about our Christ when we live and love like he did. 
And so that means I think we should practice some of these things that make it uniquely compelling. We should ask more questions instead of just shoving answers down people's throat. I love to give people the right answers because I'm a pastor and I have a bunch of knowledge because I spent all this time studying and learning and going to school and I'm like, I want to tell you things. But what I find is people do so much better when I ask them leading questions that help them get to the right answers. Hang out with the people that religion rejects. When you do that, some people will ask, what in the world you're doing? But I think it's behavior that reflects Jesus. And finally, annoy the religious elites and protect spiritual outcasts. Who's the weakest spiritual person in the room? How can you stand up to them and protect them? I think then the world will find our Christianity compelling because then our Christianity will look like Jesus, the Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming into our world and revealing what Yahweh is like. Thank you for living and dying and living forever so that we have the hope of being reborn and living forever. Lord, thank you so much for your life and your legacy as recorded in the gospel. Thank you for the, the words that were recorded and the deeds that were recorded. And thank you for the great opportunity to become a student and apprentice of the way that you lived and loved. God, so often we fall short of the way that you lived and loved, but we're so grateful we have your Holy Spirit to empower us and convict us and change us and mold us to become more and more like you. Lord, I pray that you will help us see even new, uniquely compelling things about you so that we can share those with others. And Lord, you help us live in such a way that it makes people curious about the God that we serve. I pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now today we're taking communion and we're doing it a little bit differently. If you're watching online, I invite you to take some juice, take some wine, take a cracker or a piece of bread and celebrate communion along with us. Communion um, today, you probably have on your seat one of these little cups. There's a little cracker in the top and then some juice. And so it's all pre-sealed so that um, nobody's touching other people's stuff as we try to be safe during COVID. I will tell you this right now, the taste is nowhere like the Wawa bread that we used to use. So just brace yourself for how terrible this tastes you, you, uh, compared to what we're used to. In Luke chapter 22, verses 18 through 19, Jesus is gathered with his followers, his 12 closest followers, right before he's about to be arrested and killed. He says, um, he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You can take your wafer and eat it. It's a little bit like eating wax. I'm sorry for that. And then in verse 20, he says, in the same way, he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new promise in my blood, which is poured out for you. And let's just pray again. And I invite you where you are to pray. If you're watching online, pray and thank Jesus for his sacrifice that because of his death, we can live his life. Jesus, thank you so much for allowing your body to be broken and your blood to be spilled. That we might have the great honor of being called children of God. 
so often I forget what you're like and I live as if I've forgotten what you've done for me. Lord, I pray that you will keep ever in our awareness what a uniquely compelling God you are and how much you love us that you sacrifice everything to pull together heaven and earth that we might be near you. Thank you that right now we can live in communion with God because of your great sacrifice. And Lord, I pray that if we live out your love through that community in our communities, that people get curious about our Christ, our Messiah, our Savior. And I pray all these things like a new Jesus Christ. Amen.